Amen. Amen. As the Lord Jesus stood in Pilate's judgment hall, we're told in Matthew 27, verse 22, that Pilate asked the question, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? The Roman governor that day recognized that he had had a decision to make in regard to the one that stood before him. Pilate knew that Christ was innocent, for he declared, I find no fault in him. His wife had also sent word telling him, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? And so Pilate knew what the right and just thing was. Christ was innocent and in no way deserved to die. Yet the crowd repeatedly cried out, Let him be crucified, let him be crucified, let him be crucified. This was the cry of the mob. And as they continued to beg for blood, they began to shout, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Now this was something that really troubled Pilate. He wanted to be seen as Caesar's friend. This was crucial for his career and popularity. He needed to be known as a man who was a friend of Caesar if he was going to be successful in his political career. Therefore he had a perplexing problem, a perplexing decision to make. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? His decision, of course, was to reject Christ and condemn him to the death of the cross. Matthew 27 verse 24 tells us, Pilate took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. In this symbolic act of washing his hands, Pilate tried to say, This is not my doing. This is really not my decision. Yet, the simple truth is, Pilate that day made the judgment in regard to the Saviour. As Christ appeared before him, he had to decide what he was going to do with him. And tragically for Pilate, he decided against Christ and condemned the innocent and holy one to the death of the cross. However, as we think of that great decision that Pilate had to make, it really does teach us and remind us that the person of Christ demands of all men a response or a decision. The person of Jesus Christ demands of all men a response or a decision. You see, just as Pilate had to decide what he was going to do as Jesus was brought before him, so all men and all women will have to decide what they're going to do with the Lord Jesus as he is brought before them in the gospel. This is an undeniable reality. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ demands a response. His work and his claims in the gospel demand a response to us. As we think of what is said of Jesus Christ in the scriptures. Of how he's the saviour and how he's the only saviour. And how we can only get to heaven through him. This demands a response. It demands a response of all men. Christ's claims. The things he said about himself. The things he did in life. The things that he did as he came into this world and died on the cross. This demands a response. It demands a decision. We cannot wash our hands of this issue. Any more than Pilate could wash his hands of it. As the truth of the Lord Jesus is brought before us. We all will have to make our response and decide what we are going to do with him. What we are going to do with the Lord Jesus. Now in this parable that we have read this evening in Matthew 22. The Lord Jesus points to this great truth. That all men, all men that hear the gospel will make a response to him. 
In this parable, the Savior speaks of a king. And this king is arranging the wedding of his son. He's arranging the wedding of his son. After all things were prepared, the king then sends out his servants with the invitation. Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But as this invitation goes forth from the king, Christ speaks of how it meets with a number of different responses. Everybody that received an invitation did respond. Everybody that received an invitation did respond. But they did not all respond in the same way. And they certainly didn't all respond in a good way. The Lord Jesus then in this parable is really teaching and setting forth the different ways that men and women respond to him in the gospel. Respond to the gospel invitation. Therefore, the subject I want us to consider as we look at this parable this evening is man's response to Christ. Man's response to Christ. Every time the gospel invitation goes out, every time Christ is preached, every time Christ is held forth, those that hear must make a response. They must decide what they're going to do with the Lord Jesus. And the words of the Savior here teach us how important, is, how important it is, how vitally important it is that we respond to him in the right way. Yes, we will all make a response. And each one tonight in this house, as the gospel once again is preached, will make a response. But it's vitally important that we make the right response. And this is also something that is clearly brought before us in the most simple and straightforward manner. In this wonderful parable of our Savior. Notice then with me in these words the different ways men respond to Christ. In the first place we have here a careless response to Christ. A careless response. Read of this in verse 5. See what it says in verse 5. But they made light of it. That is the invitation of the king. They made light of it and went their ways one to his farm another to his merchandise. Notice here as these individuals were bidden to come to the wedding They made light of it. The phrase made light of literally means to be careless. To be careless. In other words, as the servants of the king came to these people and presented them with the invitation to the marriage of the king's son, they were completely disinterested. They were completely disinterested in it. They ignored it and they carelessly dismissed it as something of no value. They got this invitation to the king. And they really shrugged their shoulders and says, what is that to us? We're not interested in that. We have no desire to go to the wedding of the king's son. How many there are. And this is the very way they respond to Christ. As he is presented to them in the gospel. They carelessly dismiss and ignore the invitation of God. They make light of it as if it was something that was of no value and of no worth to them. How often does this happen? Perhaps this is the response to Christ that is most prevalent in our times. Indifference. People are apathetic. Totally disinterested. And of course we see this response outside of the church. When doing outreach, you're holding a gospel mission. You invite people to come. You knock the doors and you speak to them about Christ. And and they look at the invitation and they nod their head and they thank you for it. And they close the door. But you know in in your heart of hearts, they're not interested. They're just not interested. They couldn't care less. Here you are, you're bringing the invitation of the Lord of glory to their door. 
and inviting them to hear the gospel, inviting them to come to Christ in that sense, but, but they don't really want to know. And we see this throughout society today. Yet we have to also say, we witness this disinterest even within the church. Even within the church. There are people who sit in churches week after week and they hear the gospel preached and yet they shrug their shoulders and they just turn around and they walk out outside of Christ, still in their sin. In almost a careless, light-hearted manner. In a frivolous manner. And this is a condition that we see often. Now as we think of the careless response of these people to the invitation which came from the king, notice two things in this passage about this carelessness. Two things about this carelessness. Note here the recklessness in this carelessness. And considering the invitation that these people received, we can say it was both a great invitation and a gracious invitation. It was good in the sense that attending the marriage of the king's son would have been the most prestigious and glorious event you could ever attend. What a wonderful privilege to join with all the royal guests in the king's palace and to participate in the magnificent celebrations. What, what, a, what a privilege, what a great thing this would have been. To, to attend a royal wedding. To go to the king's palace and to join with all the other royal guests. This truly was a, a great invitation. It was also a gracious invitation. The king was showing these people a great kindness by inviting them to the marriage of his son. A great kindness indeed. We could, could say this was a wonderful act of love and generosity. The king, the one who was the head of state, he was asking his citizens, those that were very much below him, to come and to join with him in celebration of, of the wedding of his son. And so there was a sense of, of, of grace here. He was being gracious and showing great generosity and kindness to these individuals. And inviting them to a royal wedding. This was a gracious act for the king to invite such people to come along. Therefore, as these individuals made light of this invitation. As they, they shrugged their shoulders. As they... Cast it aside without a thought. How reckless, how reckless was their careless behavior. This was the greatest and most gracious invitation that would ever be placed into their hands. But without a thought, without a care, they, they just dismissed it. As a worthless and valueless thing. The truth that the Lord Jesus has clearly pointed to here is the utter recklessness and carelessness of ignoring the gospel invitation. Of ignoring it. There is a, there's not a greater and more gracious invitation. That sinners could ever receive. Than the invitation to come to the king's son. To come to Christ and be saved. This is the most glorious invitation. Man and sin has ever received. In the gospel the Lord Jesus is lovingly. And graciously inviting men and women to come to him. That they might receive the greatest blessing of all. The blessing of salvation full and free. What an invitation the gospel invitation is. The Lord in grace is saying to sinners. Saying to those that have offended him. Have rebelled against him. Have broken his laws. Come to me and I will give you life. Come to me and I will forgive all of your sin. And I will give you heaven itself. And this is what the gospel invitation is, is 
really doing? This is what God is saying to men. Those that deserve hell, those that deserve punishment, the Lord is offering pardon and forgiveness and eternal salvation. Therefore to, therefore, to make light of the gospel, to carelessly ignore and dismiss Christ's invitation to come for all things are now ready is the most reckless thing that a person could ever do. The most reckless thing. Indeed, it is unthinkable. It is unthinkable. Maybe I'm speaking to someone tonight and you've attended this house for many, many years. You know the gospel. You've maybe been brought up in the gospel. You're well acquainted with it. And yet you come and you go, as it were, from God's house carelessly, ignoring the invitation, continuing on in your sin. What carelessness, what recklessness. You continue under God's judgment, but a breath from hell itself. When God invites you to come, that you might have life. And so there is the recklessness of this carelessness. But we also see in this passage the reason for this carelessness, the reason for it. Notice in verse 5 it tells us why these people behaved in this careless way towards the king's great and glorious invitation. Notice again what it says in verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. The thought here is these people made light of the king's invitation as they went their way to their farms and to their businesses. In other words, they were so taken up with their own activities, so busied with the things of life that they had no time for the king or for the king's son. This is the reason why they carelessly dismissed the king's servants who bid them come to the marriage of the king's son because they believed other things were more important. That's what they believed. Their farms were more important. Their businesses were more important. These things came first. They needed to attend to these things. These things were the priority. Why would we go to the wedding of the king's son when we have these things to attend to? And that's really the thought that is brought out here. What a powerful picture the Savior paints here. It's simple and clear he makes it. The reason why multitudes are carelessly ignoring Christ and dismissing God's invitation in the gospel is because they believe They believe there are more important things to attend to in life. More important issues. The things of this world dominate the lives of men and women. And they're so consumed with these things. So consumed with their possessions. And with prospering. And with the pleasures of time. That they carelessly ignore their greatest need. Their need for salvation. The need of the soul. And this is what multitudes are doing. I often think it a most... Ironic thing that so many people in our generation are concerned about health matters, physical health matters, healthy eating, exercise, and and those things are good in and of themselves. I'm not criticizing those things, but people are taken up with those things and they pay money to attend a gym and they spend hours and hours of, of time focused upon their physical health and all along with an eternal soul that's ignored. It's, it's just totally forgot about. There's just total indifference to their spiritual well-being, which is eternal, while they're focused upon their physical well-being, which is just temporary. And this is the situation in our land today. 
The Lord Jesus asked the question in Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Gain the whole world. Have everything. And yet without Christ, we have nothing. Oh, how foolish it is to respond to Christ in this careless and light-hearted manner. Is this what you've been doing? Is this what you've been doing for perhaps many a long day? You're not opposed to the gospel. You're here in a gospel meeting again. You perhaps enjoy coming to God's house and, and, and being found in a setting such as this. And yet all along there's this carelessness because you haven't responded to Christ and claimed him as your saviour. Oh, this is a, res- a wrong response. A dangerous and damning response. The saviour then points to a careless response in this parable. But then notice with me, secondly, we have a contemptible response to Christ. Not only a careless response, but a contemptible response. And this is brought before us in verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. People spoken of in verse 5 just ignored and dismissed the king's invitation. Just ignored it. But these people in verse 6 are very much different. They did not ignore the king's servants and just dismiss what they said. Instead, they wickedly and even violently opposed them. You see, this group of people were annoyed and offended by the very presence of the king's invitation. This is what annoyed them. This, this, this upset these people. It was obviously the case that they hated the king and they hated the king's son. And so when they heard the king's command, all things are ready, come unto the marriage, they were filled with anger and they attacked the king's servants. It set these people off. We do not want to do anything to do with the king or his son. And they were filled with rage. And with violence they attacked his servants. Now in the behavior of the people spoken of in verse 6, we are brought to see another very common response to Christ in this world. Another very common response. There are those and when they hear the gospel preached, when they are told about their own sinful condition and how they will perish in their sin unless they come to the Savior, then they become very annoyed and even angry. The message and invitation in the gospel offends them. It is an offense to them. And this is very often the response that is found among people that are religious and are trusting in their own self-righteousness. They get annoyed. They get annoyed when they're told that they must be saved or they need to be born again or they need to come to Christ. And they believe that their religion and their activity and their own good works is good enough. And you're telling me That I must come as a sinner and humble myself and cry to Christ for salvation. And this is what annoys them. This is what grieves them. Think of the Pharisees. The vast majority of these men responded to Christ with hatred. And they opposed him greatly because he offended them. Christ offended the Pharisees because they believed they were righteous. They believed they were good enough to get into heaven. They weren't like other men. They were religious men. They were moral men. They were respectable men. And so therefore, Christ's claims in the gospel that they needed to repent and believe in him were an offense to them. We witness this in a most striking manner after one of the greatest miracles the Lord Jesus performed. The miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. 
And this is what we read in John 11, verses 45 to 47. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Notice here that after Lazarus was raised from the dead, many believed in him. Many came and trusted in Christ. They witnessed his power. They witnessed the wonderful miracle of Lazarus being restored to life. And they believed in Christ. They trusted in him as their saviour. However, as this news came to the ears of the chief priests and the Pharisees, their only concern was how to stop Christ, how to oppose him. And they asked each other, what do we do? This is a problem. This is an issue that we have. And this is how they were responding to Christ. He was causing them a problem, an issue. And then we read in verse 53 of John 11. Then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. They took counsel together to put him to death. This was the response of these men to Christ. They wanted to get rid of him. For they did not want to face the truth of his power and his salvation. Oh, they didn't like what he said. They didn't like his preaching. But then when his preaching was backed up with his wonderful power of raising Lazarus from the dead... This was almost the tipping point. We need to get rid of this man. We can't have this man going about preaching anymore and performing these miracles. And so they were incensed. Christ offended them. Sadly, there are many people in the world and they still respond to Christ like the chief priests and the Pharisees did. As the truth of the gospel set before them, as it brings before them their own wickedness, and they're sinners, and they're under God's condemnation, that from the sole of the foot to the crown of their head there's no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. As the gospel not only brings before them their own wickedness, but also their own weakness, their own inability. They're dead as sinners, incapable of doing anything to merit favor with God, incapable of earning any any merit with God whatsoever. When these truths are brought before them, they are offended. They are offended. And instead of humbling, humbly coming to Christ for salvation, they criticize and condemn the gospel invitation of the king. And that's what they do. They are offended at the gospel. Offended at the gospel preacher. And this is something that I meet with almost on a, on a weekly basis. When you speak to people of Christ about Christ. You can see they're offended. And, and they're annoyed. And they're upset. It was recently in an assembly and this happened. Teacher being upset. Why? Why, why, why? why was she annoyed? Because I spoke of Christ. And his claims in the gospel. And what the word of God teaches. And they're annoyed. How often this is the response to the Savior. This contemptible response. People are offended and they turn away in rage. And so the Lord Jesus speaks here of a careless response to him. And also a contemptible response to him in this parable. But notice with me in the third place we have 
a compliant response to Christ. A compliant response. And read of this in verses 8 to 10. See what it says in those words. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. The king now sends out his servants again. And this time they invite all those they meet in the highways and byways to the wedding of his son. As they then do this, a great number respond positively to the king's invitation and come to the marriage celebration. So a great number are gathered in. This, of course, is the way that all men and women, no matter who they are, ought to respond to Christ as he is set forth in the gospel. The wonderful and glorious thing about the gospel invitation is it goes out freely to each and every person. And this is the wonderful thing about the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel of Christ to men. It goes out freely to all men. In fact, the command of the Savior is to preach it to every creature. To preach it to every creature. And we are reminded of this in this very parable in the words of verse 9. Go ye therefore into the highways and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. And really we are reminded here of the, the great invitation of the Lord to men. And the breadth of it. God with all sincerity and in the most genuine and loving way invites all men, every sinner, to come to him. This is the glorious breadth of the gospel invitation. It goes out to the whosoever. It goes out to all men. And we see in this the great depth of God's love and mercy and grace to sinners. He calls all sinners unto himself. He invites all sinners to come. And to come and be saved. Read in Revelation 22 verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will. This is God's invitation to sinners. Comes to all. All are invited to Christ. The simple truth is, no one that has come face to face with the gospel will ever be able to say, I was never invited. I was never invited. Those that hear the gospel, even on on just one occasion, have received God's invitation. Invitation to be saved. Now as we examine closely the compliant response in this parable, we see that it really involves two things. It really involves two things. Notice here, it involved a forsaking. A forsaking. This compliant response involved a forsaking. These people, in order to come to the wedding of the king's son, had to forsake that which they were doing. They had to leave behind their own plans and practices if they were to be part of the celebrations. And and we can imagine the situation here. They, They had to leave what they were doing. They had to forsake what they were doing and go with the king's servants If they were going to be part of the celebrations, there had to be a forsaking to do this. And we think of those that were were careless, the problem was they wouldn't forsake. They wouldn't forsake their farms. They wouldn't forsake their merchandise or their businesses. But these people did. They left behind what they were doing and they joined in the celebration of the wedding. So it is with Christ's invitation in the gospel. It involves a forsaking. 
The word the Bible uses to describe this forsaking as we come to Christ is the word repent. The word repent. This is what repentance is. It is the forsaking, a turning away from our own sinful ways and a turning to Christ. It's a turning to Christ from our own ways and from the path that we are on, the path of sin. We see this most clearly in the life of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, before he was converted, he was a religious man. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was zealous in all that he did, in his devotions, in his morality, in his law-keeping. This was Paul. But then what does he say in Philippians 3? When he came to Christ, he counted all those things as done. What was he saying? He counted them as worthless. He forsook all those things. He forsook his past. He forsook his own self-righteousness. He forsook his own religion. And he turned to Christ. And he embraced him as he was offered in the gospel. And this is the only way we can respond in the right way. There needs to be a forsaking. If we are to respond in the right way to the Savior, there needs to be a forsaking in our lives. There needs to be a repentance from our sin. A sorrow, a contrition, a brokenness, a turning away from our sin and wickedness. The Savior put it this way in Luke 13 verse 3, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Except ye repent, except there be this forsaking, you cannot be saved. You cannot have my salvation, and so therefore you will perish. That's what Christ was saying. And so we see here in this compliant response to the Savior there was a forsaking. But also there was a following. A following. And notice in verse 10 it speaks of how the servants of the king gathered together the people they invited to the royal wedding. They gathered together. These words gathered together literally mean to lead together. And so the thought here is, as these people received the command of the, of the king, all things are ready, come on to the marriage. They followed that command. And they actually came. There was a following of the message they received. That's the point. They received the invitation. They received the message from the king's servants. And they followed that. They they obeyed that. They responded to that. And they complied with it. Now here is another absolute crucial element in salvation. It is not enough to receive the invitation of the gospel. Remember... Everybody in this parable received the invitation. Every single individual spoken of here received the invitation. It's not receiving the gospel invitation that saves. It's not enough to know about Christ and to know about the great provision that he made has made for sinners. Again, think of this parable. Every single person in this parable was told, All things are now ready. The oxen and the fatlings are are, are killed, they're slaughtered. The food is prepared, everything is ready. But it wasn't the hearing of it. It wasn't the knowing of it. It was important. It was the coming. It was the obeying the command of the king. And so it is in salvation. There must be a coming to Christ. There must be a coming to Christ by faith. If we are to be saved, knowing the truth, being acquainted with the truth, 
We'll never save us. There must be a following. There must be a receiving of Christ. The woman who was afflicted with the issue of blood and came to Christ for healing very powerfully demonstrates this for us. Listen to the words of, of Mark 5 verse 27. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. When she had heard of him, now we don't know what she heard of Christ. Perhaps she heard about the miracles he performed. Perhaps she'd heard him preaching on one occasion. But her hearing didn't heal. When she heard of him, she came in the press behind and she touched his garment. She laid hold upon him. And that's when she knew the healing virtue of the Savior in her body. And so it is for sinners and salvation. You see, faith is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. Faith moves the sinner to cry to Christ. It moves the sinner to call upon him, to follow him. I speak to people very often, and, I, and when I bring to them the truth of the gospel, they will say, well, you know, I'm a person of faith. I'm a person of faith. That's a term that's often used today. But what does that mean? Faith is a living thing. It's an active thing. True saving faith moves us to lay hold upon Christ and to receive him as our saviour. Let me ask you, has there been a forsaking of sin in your life? And a following of the saviour? Has there been this compliant response to Christ as he is presented to you in the gospel? Have you behaved as, as these people have behaved? When you've heard the truth, and when you've heard of the Savior, when you've been invited to come to him, you've recognized your need as a sinner. You've seen your sinful condition. I am in brokenness of heart. You've turned and you've said, Lord, save me. Have mercy upon my soul. You see, this is the only right response. This is the only right response to the Lord Jesus. This is the only saving response to follow the example of these people. And to come and call upon the Lord for salvation. I trust this will be your response tonight. The compliant response to Christ. And so we have here a careless response. A contemptible response. A compliant response. There's one last thing I want to note here in this passage. And that is a counterfeit response to Christ. Counterfeit response. This is brought before us in verses 11 to 14. Notice those words there in verses 11 to 14. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. As the king comes to see or comes in to see his guests, he notices one guest that was not wearing the proper wedding garment. In those days, the host of a great affair like a royal wedding would have to provide suitable clothing for their guests. You just couldn't turn up in your old duds. You needed proper suitable clothing, clothing that was suitable for a royal occasion. And so the king would provide the clothing. The occasion might be splendid and grand in every sense. This man then was found amongst the guests. He was found in the royal palace. But he had not put on the provided garment. 
He had not taken that which the king had provided. He had refused to put it on. The king then summons this man before him and asks him the question, Friend, how comest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And notice his response at the end of verse 12. And he was speechless. He was speechless. In other words, he was without excuse. There was nothing he could say to defend himself. There was no reason he could provide to to why he wasn't wearing the royal garment. Absolutely nothing he could say. He was found guilty. He is found still in his old filthy garments, so to speak. Now this man reminds us of all who are counterfeit Christians. All who are counterfeit Christians. In life they seem to respond well to Christ. They're found in the church. They may even profess to be saved. And to all those around them it looks like they are true Christians. This man was found in amongst the right company here. He was found with the rest that came along. And the rest that had had on the wedding garment. But he wasn't one who had truly submitted to the king. And this is like so many. Like so many. They have never put on the garment of salvation. They are still in their sin. And the sad thing is on the judgment day. When they are called before the great king. They will be found out. Found out when it's too late. And let me say this on that day. They will be speechless. There will be nothing they can say to defend themselves. Nothing at all. They lived amongst God's people. They heard the gospel preached. They knew the truth. And yet, they never had truly responded to Christ. They'd never put on the garment of salvation. My great fear is that many who sit in evangelical churches are found in this dreadful position. Many who sit in meetings such as this, thinking all is well, and yet there's never been the right response, the proper response to Christ. We need to examine our hearts in the light of this passage of Scripture. Make our calling an election sure. Have you responded to Christ in the right way? Is he your saviour? Do you know him? I'm not speaking tonight about some date that you can speak of. I'm not speaking tonight about some decision that you made on some particular occasion. But what I'm asking you is this. Do you have a living relationship with Christ? Do you know him? Do you know him as your saviour? Do you love him? Let's bring it right down to that point. Do you love him? Is he precious to you? You know what the Bible tells us? To those that believe he is precious. Is he precious to you? Is he precious to you? You may think tonight, well, I shouldn't be questioning you. I would far rather question you and put a doubt in your mind than you turn up on the judgment day speechless. You need to be careful in regard to these things. So careful. This is the most serious matter. Eternal life and eternal ruin here is at stake. Have you responded in the right way to Christ? 
We should note here in closing that the wrong response to Christ does bring eternal judgment and ruin. And this is also brought before us in a most solemn way in this passage. See verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. What did he hear? He heard of those that rejected him and rejected his invitation. He was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. That's judgment. See also what it says in verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In this passage, all that responded in the wrong way to the king suffered ruin. Suffered ruin. What a solemn truth that is. If you respond in the wrong way to Christ, If you respond in the wrong way to Christ and his invitation in the gospel, you too will suffer ruin. Oh, how careful we need to be when it comes to the greatest of all decisions. What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? What will you do tonight? I trust that each one here will decide, oh, it's Christ for me. Christ for me. My response to him is, I need him, I want him, I'm claiming him by faith to be my saviour. I trust this will be the response of all of our hearts tonight. That none, that none in this house will respond to Christ in the wrong way and suffer eternal ruin. But all will come and respond to him in the right way and enter into his glorious and wonderful salvation. May the Lord be pleased to bless his truth to our hearts for his own name's sake. Amen and amen. Closing, let us turn to hymn number 70.